couple of years ago on some seminary business had to be close to Washington, D.C., and had never been there in my entire life. So I decided to take an extra day or so to be able to see some of the sites around our nation's capital and had the opportunity to see the Supreme Court, Washington Monument, Lincoln's Memorial, Library of Congress. But what I really wanted to see was the inside of the Capitol building. So I had arranged to get be part of a tour late one afternoon. It's going to last about an hour or so. And we started off there in the foyer, the entryway to the Capitol building. And we went here and there, had a really nice tour and some films and all those kind of things. And then at the very end, we were back at the entryway and the tour guide dismissed us. And I immediately thought about something that we didn't see, something I really did want to see. On television, you always see the State of the Union Address and all these other events, and usually where do they take place at? In the House chambers, those places, House and in the Senate. And we didn't go by either one of those, and I asked the lady, when are we going to see the House chambers? She said, well, you're not going to see the house chambers. And I was disappointed. I wondered why in the world, and she could tell, I was wondering why we didn't get to do that. And she said, well, when different events are going on and different processes in the government are going on, you can't go in there unless you've made previous arrangements and your representative or your senator will come out and greet you and take you and give you the tour. That's the only way you get to go in. And I didn't get to go in. There is a, another place we all want to see someday. We all want to see the inner chambers of God, don't we? We want to be in that heavenly place someday. I'm sure all of us here today, we want to go see that for the right reason, because we love God. Some people, when we preach in public, we find out they want to go for the wrong reason, just so they won't see hell. That's the only reason they want to see heaven. This particular psalm tells us who will see those inner courts. It tells us who has an appointment. Do you have an appointment? Do you have an invitation? I hope you do today. First couple of verses, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Those first couple of verses give us the reason why restriction is made on God's holy place. Because he's the one that made it and he made us and everything else and it all belongs to him. And he has his rights, and he can let anybody in there that he wants in or deny anybody access that he wants to deny access to. It all belongs to him. We know that, again, that David wrote this psalm, so what he's talking about literally is that place of Jerusalem and Mount Zion there in Jerusalem where they had set up the tabernacle in his day. And not everybody 
could go in. There were restrictions on who could actually go into the actual tabernacle area and then later prefiguring also the temple who could gain access to those holy places. But figuratively is pointing towards that ultimate holy place in God's heaven. It goes on to tell us here who has an appointment. What are the requirements for someone that wants to ultimately go into God's holy hill to ascend into heaven someday? He mentions four things in verse 4. All right, you ready? Do you have the requirements to get there? First of all, it says you have to have clean hands and then a pure heart. And then you have not lifted up your soul to vanity or empty things. And you have not sworn deceitfully. First of all, you have to have clean hands. Now, for most of us here today, we probably have relatively clean hands. We know we haven't been defiled by non-kosher animal. We're not Jews. We haven't been defiled by a dead body or somebody else has touched one of those things. But are our hands clean? We start to think, well, I have not. At least today, I haven't picked up a weapon with my hands and murdered somebody. I haven't uh, picked up a weapon and driven over to uh, Kilgore or uh, Cooney or someplace and robbed a liquor store. Say, what else have I not done? Hadn't broken into anybody's house. Hadn't gone off and uh, grabbed and tried to run off my neighbor's wife and all those kind of things. So my hands are pretty clean today. But then it gets a little bit more difficult to line up with. You have not only are your hands clean, the outward attitudes, the outward appearances to people, your outward actions are okay. But then it says, I also have a clean heart to go along with it. A lot of people can control what goes on inside to a great degree. They can discipline themselves not to rob and kill and all these other things, but all the while, way down deep in their heart, there are other things going on. You may not run off with your neighbor's wife, but you can sure lust after people, can't you? Nobody ever really know it. You could never rob the bank, Austin Bank here in town, but all the while you covet everything they've got. You may never attack somebody, actually pick up a weapon and try to kill somebody, but Jesus said that if we just harbor bitterness and anger in our hearts, it's very same thing we don't look so good anymore do we clean hands and a pure heart and then we have not lifted up our soul in the vanities have you ever let something some object material object maybe have you ever let some ideological movement have you ever let some affection, as Jonathan Edwards would call it, something in this world to capture your attention and your affections, and you become fixated on that, become obsessed with that? Do you ever obsess over your next vacation? Do you ever obsess over 
retirement someday, and that's what consumes your thoughts? Have you ever obsessed and been consumed thinking about your next job and how much money you're going to make? You get consumed thinking about, well, I need, I really need that new car. I really need that new house. And I just sit and I keep thinking about those things over and over again. You know, one indicator that you've lifted up your soul unto empty, vain things is when times get quiet and you don't have anything pressing on you at the moment. You're not actually mentally engaged in a particular task. Where does your mind fly to in those empty moments? Oftentimes for people, it's the things that they've given their affections over to. Does your mind and oft times run to people and places, vacations, objects, material things, or in the quiet time does it run to God? Well, we're getting a little worse all the time, aren't we? My hands aren't that clean, my heart isn't that pure, my affections get taken away at times. Then he goes on to mention something else. Look at the last one. Have not sworn deceitfully. Oftentimes in David's day, people would come before God at the tabernacle and they'd make vows. God, you'll bless me if you'll do this for me or for my family or for my friends, whatever it might be. I'll bring this kind of offering, this kind of a sacrifice. And then when God would do what he had asked and God would come through on his end of the bargain, you might say, then they forget to do what they were supposed to do or they bring something less than what they were supposed to do. They break, were breaking their vows to God. Have you ever broken a vow to God? You ever told God, I'm going to do something or I'm going to do that? I'm going to serve you this way. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to be faithful to you in everything. We're just getting farther and farther down in the hole, aren't we? All the time. That looks fairly bleak, doesn't it? For you, me, anybody here to ever ascend into that holy hill of God. That same day that I didn't get to go in while most of us were standing there dejected and disappointed at the end of the day didn't get to see what we really wanted to see one of the senators came out and there were two or three people in our group of about 23 or 24 I think it was he came and greeted them they were some of his constituents he was their representative. They had made arrangements. And they went with him. And they got to see what I wanted to see. <laughs> because they had a representative there. Their senator had met all the requirements to get into the Senate chambers. He had to be at least 29 years old had to be a United States citizen for at least nine years when he was elected, had to be 
properly and duly elected and sworn in from his constituency. And those things gave him the requirements to be able to take people into the Senate chambers. Thankfully for us, we have a representative that can take us in to God's holy place. One that has met all the requirements to be the mediator between God and man that we read about earlier in that statement of faith. Look with me down in verse 7. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. King David most likely approaches the gates of Jerusalem, and there as he approaches, having perhaps just won a great victory for the Lord's army, as he approaches back to the city of Jerusalem and gets close to the gates, you get the idea, sometimes the way we read the English, it sounds like somebody's asking for permission to enter into the gates. And really, I believe it's King David demanding that the gates be opened for him. Open those gates. Let me in. The gatekeeper responds, Well, who are you? Who is this king of glory? And the Lord Jesus, in figurative terms, the Lord, mighty in battle, the Lord that wins all the battles for all of God's true people. You look back at those requirements earlier, the clean hands. Jesus lived life on this earth without any defiling of his hands. We read even in the book of Matthew that one day, after fasting in the desert for 40 days, he faced Satan, and he faced the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, and he won the victory for us over Satan, the victory over sin. But then we know there's one more, perhaps the greatest enemy. The Bible says that the last enemy to be defeated is what? Death. And in Christ, the book of 1 Corinthians tells us that in Christ, death is swallowed up in victory. Because Jesus overcame death and the grave, we also overcome death and the grave. Because the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us also. He indeed is the Lord of hosts that's mighty in battle. He's already won all the battles for us. Goes on to tell us a little something else about There's another chorus. Again, the king says, open up these gates. And again, the gatekeeper says, well, who is this king of glory? In verse 9, the king answers again, The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. When the king would go out in those early days of history in the Middle East, the king would go out and he'd win a battle. He'd come back with his army, but he'd come back with all the defeated hosts with him. He'd bring back the prisoners of war, the slave, bring back all the, the booty that went along with all those things. 
and he'd enter back into the city. He'd have a host with him. The Lord Jesus is the one that'll have the real host with him. After this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hand, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory, wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. A host that no man can number. For the true King of glory, the real Lord of hosts, that praise be to God, one day he conquered my soul. As the king of glory. One day he calls me to be born again. To be listed in that Lamb's book of life. To be included in his family. Adopted into his family. And one day when the king of glory enters again. That last day on that great day. I have an appointment. I have my representative already there. And I'll go in with him. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you? And if I go away, I will come again. I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. Let's bow together for just a moment. Let's thank God in our hearts that he is already there waiting for us. For the help, would you get ready? We'll sing the doxology in just a moment. You have someone in your life perhaps you fear has not made that appointment. Jesus isn't really their representative. They're still in Adam. They're not in Christ. Would you ask the Lord right now to do a miracle of his grace? Cause something to happen in their life providentially that would wake them up to their need to know the Lord of hosts and the King of glory. This past Sunday, did you approach the throne of God, come into his house? Was something on your mind other than the king of glory and praising and glorifying him? Is there unconfessed sin in your life? Hands in your heart? been thinking about vain things too much 
maybe just in the quietness of the moment. List a few of those things in your mind and heart to God and ask him to do a work, further work of grace in your life and allow you to serve him with clean hands and a pure heart. That nothing would come between your love for him and that holy place, God's holy hill. Lord, we thank you for answered prayers. Amen.